Today we hear from Lucas Moskowitz, a walking textbook on the now investment world. This former chief of staff to the chairman of the Securities and Exchange Commission, and now deputy general counsel to Robinhood, one of America's most dynamic investment leaders, spells out what's ahead in this age of app-based investing. From Ballard Studios, it's 13th and Park. The future doesn't belong to the same party. There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. We will make America strong again. We will get through this together. I can hear you. The rest of the world hears you. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. Lucas, welcome to the show. Welcome to 13th and Park. We're delighted and thrilled to have you with us. You've got a really remarkable background. You've served in the U.S. Senate. You were the chief of staff to the chairman, Chairman Jay Clayton from the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, partner in a very prominent Washington law firm, Wilmer Hale, and now deputy general counsel responsible for regulatory litigation and government affairs. So with all of that background, we've got a lot, a lot to talk about. Can you tell us about Robinhood, the company, how it got started and kind of where it is today in terms of its scale and diversity of, of customers? Yeah, thanks, Justin and Adam, and really great to be a part of the show. Thanks for having me. So Robinhood was started in 2013, and it was started as a self-directed retail brokerage app. And when I say self-directed, I mean the customer, the investor makes their own investment decisions. And, and of course, we'll, we provide a lot of resources and education and, and an easy to use platform, which we can talk more about later. But it really pioneered a commission-free, no account minimum app-based model of investing, right? If you think back, you know, let's go 50 years in the past, even earlier than that, obviously. But, you know, if you wanted to invest, you had to pay commission every time you traded. You likely had to have an account minimum. And those two things alone were cost prohibitive for a lot of people. If you can imagine somebody with, let's say, $500 that they wanted to invest paying, you know, back in the day, a $50 commission, but let's just go fast forward to, you know, 2017, 2018, that still would have been, you know, maybe a four or $5 commission or more and some sort of account minimum at a lot of places, right? So that $500 wouldn't get you far if it even allowed you to get your foot in the door in the first place. And so Vlad Tenev and Beiju Badu, who founded this company, really pioneered a model that was way more accessible financially, right? So now you don't pay a trading commission when you trade. You don't have to have an account minimum. And through products like fractional share trading, right, you can buy a share of Berkshire Hathaway or Amazon or pick the stock you want that's a high dollar stock for as little as a dollar on Robinhood. So the financial barriers that you know Robinhood led the way in, in tearing down were very significant to get more retail investors in the market. The other thing that they did an amazing job with the product is they made the interface extremely accessible and easy to use, right? You know, you're not going into the Wall Street Journal or the newspaper anymore to check the <laughs> price of the stock. You're not on a slow moving, you know, dial-up website that isn't intuitive to use. You're you're doing business, you're investing on your phone, just like you do in so many other areas of your life, right? To buy your groceries, to shop for clothing, to buy a car, even to get a mortgage, right? You can now invest on your phone as well using an interface that's just very intuitive, right? And so Robinhood alone now has over 23 million, Wow, we call them funded accounts, right? Customers with money in their accounts and investing. And so that's really incredible if you think about the world of self-directed 
retail brokerage, you know, even five, 10 years ago. Well, I'll tell you, we talk about technology. I go back into old Times Square where you had the ticker tape, right? And everyone would look up and say, oh my gosh, Procter & Gamble is at $35 a share or whatever. And that was technology. Now you're talking about a whole nother brand new level of technology taking over financial services. So talk about technology as it relates to the industry and who is it helping and even who is it hurting? Yeah, I mean, technology really can be a great equalizer and and that's showing up here in the investment space, in traditional equities, in cryptocurrency investing, even in many other areas of financial services, right? You can go to banking and money products like that. We have a money platform as well called Robinhood Money. We also have a crypto platform called Robinhood Crypto. And so through the use of technology, and again, that goes back to things like the user interface that we're able to offer now, the way we're able to deliver information, right? And, you know, you used to have to go to your brokerage office, you know, down the street, if you had one available to you to get certain information, now it's at your fingertips on your phone. Um, and that includes a ton of more accessible, you know, information that will allow you to make more informed investment and financial decisions. So, you know, technology in this space has been, again, it's been revolutionary. And you see that in the number of people who are participating in the US financial system, many for the first time. I mean, our customers, the, I think the median age is 33. Wow. Um, and, you know, again, over 23 million people in the market, over half of those customers report being first time investors. And, you know, based on our surveys, our customer base appears to be more diverse than, you know, traditional incumbent firms, which is really another amazing part of this whole retail investor revolution is we're getting the different demographics into the market who have really not participated in anywhere near the numbers they are today. And that's a fantastic thing for individuals, for the economy and for the country. You have millions of people using your service, using your app who've never invested before. Are there things that Robinhood does to help educate those first-time mm -hmm. investors? You take a look at our online platform called Robinhood Learn. That's available to everyone across the world, right? You don't have to be a Robinhood customer to get it. And we have millions of people who access those articles on Robinhood Learn. We have a newsletter called Robinhood Snacks, which we think is, according to our data, one of the most read newsletters in the country, which is really cool. You know, that's delivering financial news in digestible ways, in ways that our customer base can really relate to. We also have investing, you know, learning products built right into the app. So you can go on there and take, you know, basic courses from, you know, what is the stock market? What is a stock? All the way through to if you want to trade options, right? There are flows that help educate you about options trading. And so, you know, we're trying to do that education across the board because, again, we want our customers to make as informed decisions as they can. How much of a driver? is that small investor? How important is that person in making sure the markets are not only sound, but growing? Yeah, I mean, I think it's critically important. I think if you compare our capital markets to the rest of the world, one of the major differences is the level of retail participation we have in the market. And that's not only through you know an intermediary like a full service broker and investment advisors, but really directly in the market, right? Individuals owning stocks, mm -hmm. owning ETFs, right? I think our country has a system that does that better than pretty much anywhere else in the world. And it's what makes our markets really the best in the world. And so I think we all have an interest. Obviously, I'm sure we'll talk some regulatory, some politics, right? <laughs> On both sides of the aisle, I think 
we have um, historically have an emphasis on retail investor participation in the market. And the amazing thing right now is we're seeing that. And you know what we want to do at Robinhood, and we hope that this goal is shared very broadly, we think it is, is to continue to get more and more retail investors participating in the markets, taking control of their finances, you know, putting money over the long term to work in the market, right? So that, that's very important, right? We want folks to stay in the market who are already there, and we want folks who have not yet participated to come in and do so. Well, we're going to get to the politics and the regulatory piece, <laughs> but before we do that, there's a video clip that I want to play for you, and then I'll have a question for you after we watch the clip. As an investor, uh, just to put into perspective what we've been through, essentially we had 219 trading days where the S&P 500 moved over 100 basis points intraday over the course of the last year. That means 85% of the trading days that we experienced last year uh, were highly volatile uh, between beginning to end of the market. And with that said, we think that moving forward over the course of the next decade, as we move into this next cycle, we think there's going to be more levels of volatility uh, in our future. So you have these retail investors, you talked about the importance of retail investors in the United States for the strength of our capital markets. But then you also have first a look back that says that there's been a lot of volatility in the market and then a prediction that that volatility is going to continue. So to me, if I'm a Washington regulator or a policymaker in Congress, that could be concerning for me, those two factors, the expansion of, of retail investors and also an increase in volatility. So how do you see that going forward in terms of the regulatory environment for these financial service firms and this app-based investing model? We've certainly seen some pretty extraordinary volatility, right? You go back to January of 2021, right? And you saw tremendous volatility towards the end of that month. And that really, I think, touched off a lot of focus in Washington on this kind of, you know, fintech revolution, but, you know, really the rise of the retail investor. As a result of that, for the last, you know, couple of years, it's been a challenging environment in Washington and among regulators, to say the least. I'm generalizing here, but again, that event touched off a series of efforts to examine app-based financial services really in the retail investing space and, you know, has led to some significant already policy efforts, including at the Securities and Exchange Commission to kind of address, you know, the trading environment. We anticipate more efforts coming out of the agency to address the app-based platforms themselves and how they're providing information to customers. You know, unfortunately, we see many of these efforts really going in the wrong direction, you know, especially as a result of an event that, you know, probably wasn't well understood at the beginning. And as a result of that, you know, I think we've we've gone down the path in Washington here of of potentially overregulating and regulating in a way that we fear will stamp out, you know, a lot of you know new entrants into the markets. And again, we think objectively and subjectively, right, this is a good thing to have. We need more retail investors participating in the stock market. One of the biggest drivers of wealth in, in human history, right? So we want people to participate there. We don't want it to be reserved for just the you know historically wealthy and you know privileged to have gotten access to that. And so if you look at what the SEC is doing on you know what we call equity market structure, right? The rules that govern the way retail investors' orders are handled and executed, you see some really aggressive and kind of fundamental efforts to remake the way that's done. And, and we worry that that's going to make investing 
more expensive and more difficult. You've heard some efforts early on and what we expect to continue in terms of what the SEC calls digital engagement practices, mm. right? So those are quote unquote, some folks call it gamification. I, I don't like that term, but it's how broker dealers provide information to their customers in this new format, right? That didn't really exist 10, 20 years ago. It's it's all app-based now. And so there are some, you know, kind of ominous tones coming out of, can you provide certain information through, let's say, a notification to your customer through the app or a list of stocks, things like that, are, are those going to be acceptable for self-directed retail brokerage clients? And so we're watching these things very closely, and we're hoping that the regulators, through the public notice and comment process that's a part of all of these efforts, will do the right thing and, and make sure that, yes, platforms have the right guidelines in place, the regulations are appropriately tailored and modernized to how financial services are provided today, but also in a way that allows app-based retail brokerage and other kind of technology-based financial companies to continue to grow, to continue to be innovative, mm. provide more products and services to the customers and in a way that allows more and more people to take advantage of that. So, Lucas, I've been dying to ask you this question. It starts with two words, artificial intelligence. How does that play into Robinhood and others in the financial services industry in terms of moving forward? Generally speaking, you know, from what I can see, there's a lot of excitement and fear about this new technology. <laughs> I think there are a lot of really interesting and I think promising ideas on how to use this in the financial services space. I think companies are going to be looking at this really closely over the next several years. We're in the early days for sure. I'm, you know, I'm not aware of too many companies out there right now using chat GPT in their financial services products, but you can envision lots of different ways to use this technology effectively, right? It goes from all the way from the back office, right? How you might do, let's say, fraud prevention and detection all the way through to the front end, right? How you might provide, let's say, financial advice or recommendations to your client without the constant need for human intervention there. But, you know, information is knowledge, right, as they say. And I would think that the small investors in particular, you know, thirst for information or are looking for ways to get as much information as they can before they make you know, decisions that impact their life. That's exactly right. And they're getting more information in more effective delivery methods and in more digestible ways now than I think they've ever had before. And again, that goes back to our regulatory point, right? We don't want to stamp out this really effective way to give customers information. We can do it, I think, in a compliant way under the existing rules. There's lots of rules that apply to how we provide information to customers, right? Imagine. How we uh, communicate with the public. And so I think we can do it within those rules. And, and hopefully that's where we end up, right? We understand how this is working in real life. Tell us what it's like to be, given where you've been, what it's like to be working. I don't know if startup's the right word. It's obviously become a, a more than just a startup. It's a very mature company. But just tell us about your own personal experience working there at Robinhood versus working in other places that you've worked in Washington. It's been an exciting time since I've been at Robinhood. I joined in July 2020, so before we were a public company, and you know we were doing a lot of a lot of work to make sure that we were maturing the legal and compliance functions at Robinhood to match really what is a pretty phenomenal way of innovating. We haven't seen innovation like this in financial services, I think, in a while, and it's been thanks to companies like Robinhood. There are others out there doing very interesting things in, in ways that I think are really helping customers. 
And so our challenge, right, and, and we've been very hard at work and I think have, have done a tremendous job in making sure that, you know, the compliance and legal sides of our business match up with the, you know, pace and uh, quality of innovation. Well, Lucas, we really enjoyed having you as a guest on our show today. Really interesting insights into your company, what it's doing to the financial services industry, to retail investors, and some of the regulatory issues that Washington is is looking at uh, addressing. So thanks for being a guest on 13th Apart today. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Lucas. Well, Justin, that was fabulous. And probably for reasons that even you don't know, <laughs> when I was nine years old, I was really into the stock market myself. Why? Because my grandmother bought me two shares in a, in a company called the Mackey Company, which is a vending machine company, probably worth like 25 bucks, right? I watched it like a hawk, like right. every morning. Anyway, to make a long story short, she traveled in very interesting circles and was close to the former head of the New York Stock Exchange. They had a conversation at a cocktail party. He heard about her grandson and said, oh my gosh, bring him up to New York. So wow. the next thing I know, grandma and I are on a train, the Amtrak, up to New York. We went to the New York Stock Exchange. They put me literally on a soapbox <laughs> in the gallery overlooking the exchange with a television camera and interviewed me to get the young investor's point of view, and I was nine years old, I was very young, uh, get the young investor's point of view of why I was so into the markets. And I, I'm sure I was a great subject because I was totally into it. So when I hear Lucas talking about the new investor, the young investor, the first-time investor, that was me many, many years ago. That's a remarkable at the age of nine. So now we know where your genius comes from because you've been on camera since the age of nine. I won't, say how, many years, nine. I won't say how many years that was. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and that's that's a great story that shows that, I mean, 23 million customers in a very short period of time, yeah. that wasn't doable 50 years ago, let's say. You couldn't have a, a commercial retail brokerage develop that large of a scale. And again, no bricks and mortar stores at all. And I think that's mm -hmm. obviously part of the reason for their success and their scale is because it's completely app-based. And he made the point that you're buying your groceries, people go shopping for clothes, people get Ubers and you know transportation, everything from their phones. And now they're doing financial investing. And the fact that there's no commissions, there's no account minimums, mm -hmm. really opens up the market to people that couldn't afford to access equity markets. So it's a pretty remarkable story. On the website, they talk about, we make bold bets and challenge the status quo. Challenge the status quo. I think groups like Robinhood are so in a way, perfect for the times. Where here in America, you know, we see that in political polling all the time, how people are questioning, you know, the institutional pillars of the system. They want access. There's a thirst for democratization of everything. I think this plays right to that, which is why I think a lot of young people in particular are so compelled to be a part of it. Absolutely. I mean, technology is democratizing power in multiple arenas and multiple areas. It's democratizing power in the investment area. People have access to investing in stocks where that was limited to a limited group of people before. It's a democratizing power in our political system. You have a lot of small donors now who funded the campaign of Barack Obama. They funded the campaign of Bernie yes. Sanders and, and Donald Trump. So there, there's the democratized power. Before, the donors could only be those who were showing up at events and raising money and big checks to, to candidates. So it's absolutely a continuation of how 
one, technology, but two, you know, to mention Steve Jobs, I mean, really the iPhone and his genius in developing the iPhone, these smartphones now really enable all mm-hmm. of these different things to take place. It's it's a remarkable time that we're living in. The future is exciting. But I noted that Lucas, when you asked him about artificial technology, right. he said it's exciting, but also concerning at the same <laughs> time. So that's something that with any new to- technology, we're going to have to see what the promise of it is and what the risks of it are. One of the other things that you were talking about with Lucas, regulation, this is one place where you want regulation and innovation to work together and at the same pace. I think there's a real desire for, and appropriately so, for regulation of financial services, right? On the other hand, you don't want to do things in regulation that completely, despite best of intentions, throws things in reverse. And Robinhood and and others like that that are innovators, right? You have to be hopeful that Washington and others will keep pace with them as they start to uh, not only explore the brand new world, but help lead it. Right. And, you know, the concern really is about overregulation. I mean, now you've got this expanded base of retail investors that are investing. And, you know, some people have the view in Washington, some regulators have the view that that in and of itself is inherently risky and that the government needs to step in and mediate the relationship between retail investors and the marketplace more aggressively than they have in the past. So, you know, that's a that's truly a philosophical question. Some people say, let the investors, retail investors invest and, you know, give mm-hmm. them access to information and let them make their own decisions. Others don't like that so much. They take a view that retail investors will never be as, as informed as they should be. So government needs to step in and deal with that. So there's an art to that. It's probably not a science, but hopefully the regulation is such that it doesn't limit the marketplace for retail investors, but provides the bare requirements for some level of investor protection. Well, I'd like to just close the show by saying that our producer of this show, 13th and Park Fabian, in his early 20s, throw that one piece of bio out, (laughs) is a first-time investor with Robinhood. Of all things, we were talking about this show and he said, you know, I'm actually an investor. He told me what the investment was. Apparently he's done pretty well, but I can't disclose the stock because that would be probably inappropriate. Mm -hmm. But he's emblematic of, again, a younger generation that wants to be a part of it all. It's the democratization of of this entire world of finance that used to be the preserve of of those that were more connected, were wealthier, more in the inner circles. Now all circles are being invited into the dance. And I think everybody wants to play. As Lucas said, it helps make the capital market stronger to have that level of retail investor engagement. So it's exciting to see. It's exciting to see what they've done. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited for what, what the future holds. Same here. Great show, Dustin. Thanks, Adam. Don't miss future episodes by following us on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast platforms, or go to the YouTube channel where you can subscribe for free.